listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, so let's get started here. Uh, Of course, we are talking about uh, the power of the word that is within us to affect everything that we do. And we see this in the scripture. I want, to, I want to start by reminding all of you just how central and how important this issue is of guarding, first of all, guarding our lips, guarding our mouth, guarding our tongue against speaking uh, ill of others, against speaking doubt, against defining ourselves by spoken words of doubt or spoken words of fear. Uh, I want to remind you of something. I've, I've preached about this before, but uh, there, is, there has been several um, studies of psychology done where people uh, defined their feeling with a, a lesser word or they defined their feeling by a more... Uh, a more formidable or more uh, dynamic word. Like, for example, let's say I'm irritated. If I say in response to my feeling, I am somewhat irritated, I manage the feeling that is within me. On the other hand, if I say that makes me furious, the feeling that is within me goes to a higher, a higher level. We define ourselves with the power of our words. It is true in a physiological sense. It is true in a psychological sense. It is true in a biblical sense. With our mouth, we define faith in our life. We define hope in our life. We define how we are going to respond to circumstances and setbacks and troubles. When you say within yourself, I don't know what I'm going to do, you do yourself no favors because you could just have easily have said, Well, I almost said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but instead I'm going to say, God knows exactly what I should do. And by the very creative word that has issued out of your mouth, you have either, stay with me, spoken life to yourself or spoken death to yourself. You have either spoken hope to yourself or you have spoken despair to yourself. You have either spoken the promises of God or the reality of your own limitations with the words you spoke. So uh, this past Sunday, I, I preached uh, a message about uh, how uh, in the Garden of Eden there were two trees. There weren't just one tree. And one of those trees uh, was the fruit of life, and one of those trees was the fruit of death. Now, the tree we think of as death, it is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it is more than simply that rather, uh, that rather shall, we, shall we say, uh, vague title. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me call it this. It is the tree of the usurper. That tree is the tree of the usurper. It is the person who wants to put themselves in the place of God. Eat from that tree. 
And so in the garden, God's protected place of perfection, this garden that was prepared by God, it was not simply wilderness or uh, the, the, a place of danger. Uh, it was a protected place. It was groomed according to God's gift to his creation as a perfect place of a fellowship between the human and the divine. And in this garden, there is a tree we have to choose to leave alone. There is a tree we have to choose to say that is not mine, that is not for me, that is of God, and I'm going to leave what is God's in the hands of God, and I'm going to be busy with that which he has placed in my my hands, my work, my call to do. So uh, having preached that Sunday and having told about how uh, revolutionary it has been in my life to recognize negativity, uh, to recognize uh, doubt, to recognize fear, and to identify it literally to identify it and say, that is the tree of death to me. What about this? That's the tree of death to me. What about the other? That's the tree of death to me. I choose rather to leave that with God and I choose to speak faith. That has been uh, something that is uh, really changed my ability to manage stress. Uh, I identify what is not mine to touch and I leave it with God. Is there anybody in the house? See, you really should have stayed home. <laughs> I identify what's not mine to handle, and I leave it in the hands of God, and I choose life. So uh, studying this week, I came across this passage, and it, it so uh, perfectly uh, fits in with this idea of the two trees in our life. One of them is a tree of death, and one of them is a tree of life, and I began to see how uh, this scripture, the, uh, a man's stomach shall be satisfied by the fruit of his mouth, and from the produce of his lips shall he be filled. When the serpent it, uh, revealed itself in the in the garden, uh, what was he doing? Uh, we think of of serpents as as they they crawl upon the ground. Maybe they threaten you. Maybe they try to strike you. But what is this serpent doing? He's not crawling. This serpent is speaking. Uh, and in this this context of the deceiver. Now, the uh, the original text do not identify the serpent as Lucifer. Uh, we make that association because we think of one who has fallen. We think of one who was a murderer and a deceiver from the beginning. But in the original text, it literally does not identify him uh, or the serpent by the name of any of the uh, like, like for example, Lucifer that we would identi- uh, automatically identify. And so we think of this serpent as, as the deceiver, as the one who comes to confuse. And how does he choose uh, to harm? He does it by speaking. How does he choose to deceive? He does it by by speaking. How does he choose to lead uh, Adam and Eve astray? He does it with the words that are in are in his mouth. And so, as a deceiver, he waits to speak to Eve, and he tricks Eve into error because of the words that he speaks. And so it is that in our lives, our words literally define life to us or they define death to us. And you will eat the 
the produce of your words. You will be filled with that which you speak because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So having established that as kind of a uh, a teaching illustration from the very beginning of the story of, of divinity and humanity and God and mankind. Having established that, I want to I want to jump from one of the oldest, uh, the, well, the oldest story of the Bible. I want to I want to move all the way to the New Testament, and I want to imagine with you, if you can imagine with me, uh, a, a, a man who has no uh, formal religious training. I want you to imagine a man who has never been to seminary, a man who has never been to any of the philosophical schools, whether they be of uh, Jewish history and law or whether they be from Greek philosophy, a man who is a blue-collar worker, a man who has not been formally educated. He is a man who... uh, has been thrust into an astonishing position, and that is James, the brother of Jesus, has been, has become, uh, ipso facto, he has become the actual uh, pastor of Jerusalem. Which church in all of the New Testament churches has the most converted Pharisees in it? Somebody say Jerusalem. Thank you. I'm so glad that you knew that from your study. Uh, Which church has the most lawyers converted, mosaic lawyers of of the law of Israel? Which church has the most lawyers, mosaic law uh, specialists in it of all the churches. You would be right by repeating the uh, earlier uh, city, Jerusalem. Which, which church? Testing, testing. There we go. Which church? All right, all right. See how I sound like I'm in a barrel? This is not the will of God. Immediately, all you guys went to sleep. You're like, oh, I've got to listen to that. All right, don't worry. Salvation is coming, and it's going to come back to you. So so the, the, think of a church with a, av, um, a, a group. If you averaged out the net level of education, uh, that church in Jerusalem would know more about the Old Testament than all the other churches probably combined. It is filled with converted Pharisees, converted law, converted scribes, they are professionals. And God chose, and they chose, a blue-collar carpenter, son of a carpenter, to be their pastor. James claimed to fame. Now remember, this is not James the the disciple. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, He was not a believer until after the resurrection. He uh, he was not among the disciples. He became a believer later. Uh, this is his church to pastor. And so it would be difficult for him to talk much uh, about Old Testament law without there being people in the church who kind of snickered and nudged each other. Come on, what do you know about human nature? You have three scribes sitting by each other, and 
James says, talking to a group uh, about something about the Old, Old Testament, and they kind of snicker and nudge each other. There's something about humanity. We love being superior. We love celebrating the hard-won knowledge that we sometimes gain, and I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, my wife uh, has a PhD in pharmacology, which is a fancy way of saying she deals drugs. And so... Um, what she does is uh, I will try to say, you know, you know, those those the names of drugs that are on peel, on the peel bottle. It's like a, 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 a lecto, tricolo, flicolo, hiccolo. Uh, and it's it's an absurd name. Um, and you, you, you say this absurd name. And every time I say it, my wife smirks. And rolls her eyes. And yes, you do. Don't be acting spiritual just because you're in church. And the unspoken, the unspoken thing is, oh my Lord, you just do not know your drugs, which is the truth. If you're an expert on something and somebody comes by and they pop off about uh, what they, they, something they don't know, it's hard for you to be quiet about the fact that you actually know. Imagine the difficulties that James had in uh, trying to uh, teach, in trying to lead uh, this group of self-professed experts. So I want to talk to you a little bit from the book of James, and I want to uh, bring this home to us uh, from from this from the perspective not of you know uh, somebody like the Apostle Paul who has tremendous education who literally can define uh, Old Testament understanding he can speak forth I mean he is as as educated and just sharp as a whip theologically uh, he can debate with anybody without fear uh, James uh, is not uh, educated in that way James says some things however, among this group of uh, experts that are eminently practical and they are uh, these, these truths are very much established. And so I'm not going to, of course, teach the whole book of James, although it's interesting to read the book with that context. Um, but I want to I read at James chapter number 4 and chapter, chapter 4, verse number 11. Do not speak evil one of another, brethren. Somebody say amen. amen. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge to judge another. And so, um, excuse me, James makes this statement among the church in Jerusalem. Uh, James is not one of the older books. James is one of the uh, earlier books of the era era of the New Testament. Um, it's, of course, not the earliest of the New Testament writings, but it's, if, if, I, if I remember correctly, it's uh, toward the, the earlier uh, in the 50 ADs, pretty, pretty soon uh, after, after, or at least pretty soon in the foundation of the church. And so James talks about, well, are we going to try this again? We think it's going to work this time. You're going to hold your breath in anticipation. 
my essential trimmers is giving me trouble. Here, you put it in. Anyone have a song they'd like to sing? Testing, testing, testing. Oh, so much better. Okay, so I'll sing for you now. The mighty God is Jesus. Prince of Peace is he. Okay, all right. So James is one of the earlier books, and he writes in this, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Don't speak evil. Do not judge. Now, uh, it's easy for us to say, well, I am talking about other people, but I'm not speaking evil. I am, I am telling the truth about them. So let's do a little bit of Greek review. Uh, the literal Greek word is a combination of two words, which is uh, against and the other meaning to speak. And literally in the Greek, if you were to take a simplistic or just a literal reading of this, it would read like this, to speak in more like a, a literal interpretation. Do not put down your brother. It's translated as speak evil, but what it's saying is do not put down your brother. Related words would be don't vilify, don't gossip, don't belittle. We like to say don't badmouth one another, don't badmouth bad your friends, etc., etc. We must not be in the business of judging one another by the words of our mouth. Rather, we must speak life one to another, where we choose to see the good in one another, and we choose to see the good in flawed people, and we choose to speak life and faith over those people. There are two trees in the garden of your life, and you're going to eat from one of them or the other of them. We can have a Christianity that's based on speaking death. Uh, we can have a Christianity that's based on speaking life. What is the difference? Hope and faith is the difference. I can speak hope to someone. I can speak faith to someone, or I can belittle. I can put down. I can gossip. I can slander, and I can, while doing it, allow myself to feel superior to the person I am talking about. So, let me be real practical here. We must not spread rumors. Can I have a big amen? amen. We must assume the best about people, not the worst. Amen. We must be silent if we cannot be kind. Amen. We must not rejoice when other believers fall in sin. Amen. We must not rejoice when people have their weaknesses exposed. Amen. We should not share things that are better left unsaid. Amen. And furthermore, we must not emphasize the negative parts of the story in order to turn somebody's affection away from another individual that is called slander. Now, there are lots of things in the Bible, not lots, but there's some things in the Bible that we do that the Bible isn't exactly clear about. We interpret this scripture and this scripture to mean this types of behavior. Uh, however, when it comes to gossip or slander, 
slander or speak an evil. The Bible does not ask you to interpret what this scripture means. The Bible gets a two by four and hits you right over the head with it. The closest thing to this that you will find is uh, the, the list of moral transgressions that are in the Bible. It does not ask you to figure out what it means. There's a, again, there's a lot of things that we interpret. The Bible's not exactly uh, this, this, and this, and we interpret. That's fine. That is how we seek after righteousness. Can I have an amen? But there are some things that there is no interpretation necessary. It is as clear as the nose on your face, and the Bible touches it again and again and again and again and again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and one of those things is this issue of speaking or judging uh, another person, speaking ill of them uh, or judging them in an area where it is not your jurisdiction to have an opinion. When we do this, we eat from the tree of death and we become that which we do. Out of our tongue is a definition of self. And when we speak death, we literally live out spiritual death one with one with another. I, I know that bad news travels faster than good news. Uh, my favorite gossip joke, you guys all have heard this, so just laugh politely when I get to the punchline. Uh, a, a bunch of preachers went to a retreat, and part of the retreat is they were going to confess their sins one to another, so they gathered around, and uh, the first guy confessed that he had a problem with money. It was all he could do, uh, you, know, you know, not to just disappear with the church's money to Vegas. And the second guy confessed he had a problem with women. All he could think about doing was, you know, praying for the pretty women in the church. And the third guy confessed that, uh, uh, you know, he had a problem with power. All he could think about was how he could be elected to some high position. The fourth man raised his hand and he said, I confess I have a problem with gossip and all I can think about is getting back to town. (laughs) Yes, bad news travels fast. Um, I, I was listening to uh, uh, some researchers that specialize in how uh, the new social media is affecting politics, and they were talking about how these social media platforms have tried to reform themselves, uh, where uh, a, a group of uh, people could not uh, make a series of uh, fake news claims and then blow them up so gullible people believes. And uh, for example, uh, there was uh, one guy who saw some news that that some politician was uh, running a uh, child molesting ring or something, and so he got a rifle and went to the so-called place and started shooting people. And, of course, it was absurd. It was uh, a hype story. Um, but when, you, when you, uh, you, you, you read a story, if it has shock value, the odds, and this is what the researchers were saying, if it has shock value, it doesn't matter if it's true. You will probably retweet more something that has shock. Very few people care about truth. I'm going to say that again, and then we're going to have a long pin dropping pause. Very few people care about truth, but they love shock value. And so this is human nature. This is just as carnal as being an alcoholic. This is just as sinful as having uh, immoral, illicit affairs. 
This is just as wrong as uh, robbing your neighbor or anything like that. Uh, this is just as wrong. It is just as much a part of the, uh, the, the defined transgressions in the scripture as immorality. In fact, in the Bible, when you look at the lists of people who definitely aren't going to make it, people who speak uh, ill, slanderers, people uh, of this type of a nature are, are, are clearly identified. In fact, in Romans 1 and 30, when the the, the word slanderer is used, it is placed right beside haters of God. Slanderers, haters of God. It is just as wrong as any of the sins of the flesh that we feel comfortable jud, uh, judging. We feel comfortable judging in ourselves. We feel comfortable saying, if I did that, I wouldn't make it to heaven. It is just as much a part of practical Christianity, and it is over and over and over and over and over and over placed before you in the scripture. In fact, there is an all the word of God, not one good word spoken ever in any context in terms of gossip or rumor mongering or evil speech or critical comments or backbiting or ugly talk. Not one single word, not even a context where you can make an argument. It is continually spoken against Old Testament and New Testament. Why? James, why would you say to this church filled with religious experts that they need to quit judging each other because they're in the habit of judging each other. Something about the law uh, and its structure was your perfection of adherence to the law. And in this New Testament church, uh, there is a different kind of righteousness, not that we don't pursue, but that our best is never good enough. And ultimately, when we are made like him, it is through grace and mercy, not excellence of the flesh. And so in this church of religious experts, James writes and says, you guys who are putting down other people, you need to stop it. You need to stop speaking evil of a brother. You need to stop judging your brother. When you do that, you break the law you claim to promote. So this would be like you are so concerned your neighbor is going to break the law that you then break the law in order to stop him breaking the law. And it happens every day. That's what gossip is. We break the law that we are afraid that person is going to break. But there is a deeper error that is beneath that. When you judge, when I judge, we usurp God's authority. That's James' point. It's the same sin that Eve and Adam in the garden do. They want to be like God. They want to stand in the place of God, and they want to be like God. When we judge others, when we speak ill of others, we place ourselves in the same error of Adam and Eve, where we then judge someone else when only God is the judge. 
such. And so James says to a church full of religious experts, there is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and destroy, who are you to judge your neighbor? It's so interesting to me that James is writing this to the Jerusalem church. And he's saying, let God be God. You focus on serving him. You focus on pleasing him. But let God be God. His sovereignty is unrivaled. His authority is unquestioned. His will is unchanging. And his record is unblemished. His steps are untraceable. His wisdom is unparalleled. His power is unending. His words are unprecedented. And his kingdom is unstoppable. And because he is God, he can do what he wants to, when he wants to, and no one can charge him with error or wrong. He alone gives life. He alone takes life. He alone can save. He alone can destroy. When we criticize, we are saying, I know better than God does. And like Eve, we want to be God. And so uh, you will remember this is uh, a theme that is repeated over and over in the scripture. Now, I'm going to uh, do what I normally do, and I'm going to try to, uh, in, a, in, a, in an effort for, uh, to be as transparent as possible and as uh, authentic as possible, I want to confess to you that gossip is just as much a temptation to preachers as it is to saints. Now, thank you for not saying amen, Uh, but I I want you to know gossip is just as much a temptation to preachers as it is to saints. Uh, The exception is there are circumstances where the pastor holds the situation in his uh, jurisdiction and he he has to make decisions about that, in which case he would seek counsel from mentors and elders, and that would be appropriate. Why? Because that is within his jurisdiction. If it is not in jurisdiction, it is simply death to you, because even if you could do the right thing, you would have no authority to do it. And so you end up with a type of wounds to your faith and weakness in your confidence because it is not something that you should, you should do. Our tongues either define life among us or they define death among us. The manner in which we speak defines the culture of our church. It defines the culture of our individual callings. It it defines the tone and tenor of our families. And so I'm making a sincere appeal to everyone here today. Your house should be filled with fruit from the tree of life, not filled with fruit from the tree of death. We must choose subjects that are not of a good report and say, we're not talking about that. We have to choose uh, uh, things that are not, uh, they are not helpful. They are not edifying. They are not godly. They do not exalt, but rather they destroy, they wound, they hurt. And we have to choose. It is just as much necessary as it is not to live a life of immorality. Amen. 
it is just as necessary not to live uh, uh, in errors of the flesh, whatever that looks like for you. If you are tempted in immorality, you need to find an altar. If you have somebody at work that the, your, your, what started out as kindness has turned into flirting, and what was at flirting is now getting into inappropriate conversations, let me tell you what's going to come next, inappropriate planning, let me tell you what's going to come next, inappropriate liaisons. It's all going to start. It started out as kindness, you letting someone know you like them. It turns to flirting, and then it turns to inappropriate conversations, then inappropriate plans, and then inappropriate acts. If anybody here today is being tempted or is in immorality, I'm making a spiritual appeal to you. Catch yourself before God lets judgment work in your life. He has extended to you a season of grace and mercy where you can make things right, you can repent of your sins, and you can turn away from the immoral choices, but they are not free. They are wounds in your spiritual life. They will cause damage to the people who look up to you. Turn away, turn away, turn away. I beseech you by the mercy of God, turn away from immorality. If there's anyone here today, particularly us men, if you are tempted by the internet in your life and you can't get uh, problems with the immorality that's on the internet, I'll speak carefully. If that's it, if you can't get it under control, you need to sort yourself out. You need to get accountability. If necessary, you need to do find some other way to access the internet. You, why do you do that? I am. If I'm going to be a man of God, I have to preach on how to please God. You have to turn away from immorality. It's not okay. But as just as much as I have testing just as much as I have Bible to preach against morality, I have Bible to preach, stop putting other people down. Stop speaking death into the culture of this church. Stop comparing yourself one to another. Stop having opinions about people. If you don't have anything good to say, that's what I'm talking about. And so it is appropriate and it is right for us to control our tongue because out of our tongue comes both death and life. And I want to take this to the next level. I'm almost done. Preston, come play so everyone will know I'm I'm trying to quit even though I haven't quit just yet. Um, I want you to see something uh, here that James says uh, in James chapter number one. Um, It's easy for us to think in terms of... uh, uh, in terms of of people, uh, believers and saints um, needing to control their tongue. I said earlier, by way of this transparency, that gossip and speaking death is just as much a temptation for leaders as it is for, for uh, lay people. It is just as much a temptation for preachers as it is for, uh, for, for, for the lay Uh, ministry and the lay believer in the church. And I want to show you that I'm not the only one to say that. James says this stronger than anybody else in the Bible. So you're used to having 
If you've been in church most of your life, you're used to, you know, obey them that have rule over you. You're used to that. You've heard a lot of that. Um, you, you, you've heard a lot of, uh, you know, obey your, obey your pastor. What you haven't heard a lot of, uh, about is that even the preacher, even the pastor has to be careful about speaking things that are, uh, how shall we say, wrong. And let me, let me give you an example of that. James brings this up. James writes to the most educated church in all the, the, the church churches of the day. And he says, you know, not many of you should become pr- teachers. Chapter 3, verse number 1. Not many, I know you're all lawyers and scribes and scholars and you brag about which school you came out of and some of you are of Shemei and some of you are from Hillel and blah, blah, blah. I know you're big time, but not, not many of you guys should be teachers. This is James. Why? Uh, well, first of all, you're going to be held to a higher standard, number one. And we all stumble in many things. If you were able to not stumble in anything, you would be a perfect man and uh, you'd be able to control your tongue. But in the same manner, he says, that we put bits in horses' mouths and they turn their whole body just by controlling the direction of their mouth. And in the same manner that giant ships are controlled by small pieces of wood called rudders, that are stuck in the water behind them in the same manner the tongue although it's small it does the same thing that the bit in the horse of the mouth uh, the mouth of the horse does it controls where they're going it does the same thing that the rudder on the ship does it controls where it is going and if you don't control your mouth that little member in your mouth <laughs> will kindle the very fires of hell. This is why you should not have many of you should be teachers. You don't know how to shut up. This is why not many people should be teachers because you have to have an opinion on everything. You just talk, 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 talk. You should have shut up a long time ago. You had to have an opinion about this and an opinion about that. And pretty soon you've ruptured the body of Christ. And you have the very fires of hell in the congregation. Because you can't stop talking about things that have nothing to do with the main thing. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of nature. And is set on fire by hell. James, I wish you would speak strongly. I wish you would tell us how you really feel. Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, James says. But nobody can tame their tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. James 
is uh, delivering his soul. <laughs> and he isn't just telling the lay people that they should speak life and not death. He's telling the preachers, the wannabe preachers, the teachers and the wannabe teachers, the aspirational teachers and the old time teachers, he's telling them all this. You better watch what you say. You need to be careful to speak gently. You know, one of the things I love about uh, our church, we're, we're far from perfect. Um, the list of imperfections start right here. Uh, Pastor Nate, that's number one on the list of imperfections. So, um, but I will say this. Uh, we include flawed people. That's how you got to be a part. <laughs> and we make a place for imperfect people. And we love unorganized people. And we receive all manner of strong and weak. And we are a community. If the Lord will grant us and bless us, we are and we will, will be a community of acceptance. A community of choosing to see the good. A community of choosing to speak the good. And when we do that, it is as though we fill our bellies with life. Is that fair? Let's all stand. All right, so it was not the most positive Wednesday night sermon for you here tonight. Uh, I do believe this with everything in my, my, my heart. I will say this. I do not know of any person talking bad about anybody and I had nobody in mind when I was trying to straighten you out. However, if I hit you, I'm very happy. I hope you receive it with humility and I hope you say, I choose life today because if I choose death, then I'm going to have to eat the death I have chosen for others. But if I choose life, I will be able to eat the life that I have given to others. Lord Jesus, be with your people, I pray. Help us not just to be, uh, as it were, kind of uh, Christians as a form of, of, of speaking, or a, but let our lives be the testimony of, of your path and, and serving you and pleasing you. Walk with us, I pray, oh God. Make us strong in the word. Make us, make us be people who speak faith. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. 